Thank you, Pastor. Good morning. Uh, I want to start by saying we thank God who made, who made it possible for us to be here. Sierra Leone is a long way, and I never dreamed of coming to America. I desired it years back, but then as age was selling, I decided to forgo and forget about it because God has called me into the work of ministry. But honestly, when the Lord opened the way for us to come, we did not struggle about it. He brought us easily. And when we came, when we came here, we tried to get an Assembly of God church because I come from the Assembly of God mission. And then I met with one pastor, Rex Bonman. He directed me here. He said, go. The pastor there is Pastor Mike. He said, he's a brother. He's a good man. I said, okay. I don't know the way. But my, our landlady drove us here that Sunday morning. And then we came. I introduced myself. That was how we came to Hope Church. I want to say thank you, you people. You are so good. You are so wonderful. You made us feel at home. God will richly bless you. You do not allow us to suffer. Some of you offered your vehicles to be taking us from home to church, from home to Bible study and back. Use your fuel. Use your time. We are grateful. Thank you. Also want to say thank you specifically to Pastor Mike. This man is a truly man of God. I've come across men and women of God. But this man, the Spirit of God is in him. Let's give him the right hand of fellowship so that he continues to serve in this church. There's a family also. They are going to be embarrassed if I mention them, and they are not here to this morning. But nevertheless, they've been so good to us. That is Rowan and Shilpa. They are faithful. They are like a sent one to us. They did all within their power to make us feel at home. We say thank you. This morning, when pastor asked me to pray about speaking on the first Sunday of September, I said, wow. Uh, next month, October, will, will be our second year in America. And this is going to be my first preaching assignment at Hope Church. Uh, I've had uh, some terrible times back home. I was not only a pastor, an assistant pastor, but I was also a sectional leader. I was overseeing like 40 churches. And then I was also lecturing in the Bible college, diploma level, and then I was also the assistant pastor. My senior pastor was engaged with the government service. So he does not have time. So most of the time, I was in the church. It was not easy for me. So when I came here, I explained to one of my brothers. He said, well, God wants you to rest. Please rest. I said, okay, I'm resting. So I'll be resting. <laughs> I'll be resting until Pastor Mike said, first, first week in September. I said, okay, praise God for that. The scripture we're going to read for this sermon today, I pray that it becomes a message. It's taken from the book of Genesis chapter 22. Can you go there with me? Genesis chapter 22, and we are going to read the first five verses. Genesis chapter 22, from verse 1 to 5. 
Sometime later, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. He took with him two of the servants and his, his son Isaac. When he had caught enough food for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God has told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there. We will worship and then we will come back to you. Can you pray with me? Father, I thank you for today. Lord, indeed, I am grateful. I thank you for what you've been doing and what you are doing even now. Therefore, I hand over myself unto you, Lord. I cannot speak to your people. I pray that you will be the speaker. You will bring your message unto us and impact lives in the name of Jesus. You have your way and you take control. Let it be all about you. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed. Amen. Amen. I'll be speaking from the topic, faith, and from the title, Let Go That You May Take Hold. Let Go That You May Take Hold. The reason why I came up with this title is that our existence in life is not by chance or by accident. God created us for a purpose. Hallelujah. When he took the dust of the ground and formed man and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, man became a living soul in Genesis chapter 2 verse 7. God has transferred his own breath, his own life unto us for a purpose. And therefore he made us not only in his image but also in his likeness so that we will be able to walk with him, to fellowship with him and above all to worship and serve him. Hallelujah. He did not only give us minds to think with, emotions to fill with, or wills for making decisions, but he also gave us an inner spiritual nature that enables us to know him and to worship him. That's the main purpose. The inner spiritual nature in us that we should know God. And when we know him, we must be able to worship him. When God asked Abraham to offer his son, his only son whom he loved, he was testing Abraham's faith. He was testing his hope. He was also testing his love for him. There will come a time when God will test each and every one of us. Let's start with the first one, faith. What is faith? We see the Bible gave a definition in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1. It will be on the screen. The, 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 the NIV says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. We are sure of the things that we hope for and we are certain of even what is coming to us. We are certain of it. Right? Then the King James Version says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. But both of these scriptures, they start with the word now. We tell you that faith is in the present tense. 
It is not in the past. It is now. Hallelujah. Isaac was a miracle child, a gift from God to Abraham and Sarah, and Sarah in response to their faith in God. But now God is asking Abraham to offer this very Isaac again. He said he's the promised son to him as a burnt offering. Does it make sense? It does not make sense. But that is what we are here to talk about. Faith does not make sense. I know of a family here in the, in the U.S. I don't know which state they are in. That is Charles and Francis Hunter. I came to know about these people because they wrote so many books. They sent them to us in the Bible school in Africa. We learned so much about them. In one of their books, Francis wrote that one day, I mean, at a time, they went on evangelistic outreach. They spent some days. And then they, they returned uh, like middle of the night. When they returned, they went to bed tired. When they woke up in the morning, Francis went to the kitchen to see if she could prepare breakfast for them. Unfortunately, they did not shop. They did not uh, buy groceries before they left. So there was not enough groceries for, the, for breakfast. So she, she, she called Charles. Charles, can you come here, please? We don't have breakfast this morning. No. Can we pray? And then Charles said, sure, let's pray. And they joined hands together, and they prayed the prayer of agreement that God will provide their breakfast for that morning before ever they go anywhere else. And after they prayed, Charles went on to do some other thing, and Francis went to the kitchen, washed some dishes, teacups, spoons, <laughs> fork and knife, and she set the dining table for breakfast when breakfast is not there. Because they have prayed, they have prayed together, they have agreed, and they believe God will do it. And then she went about doing something else. Not too long, there was a knock on the door. And she went to answer to the knock. When she opened, there was a neighbor with her son behind her, carrying a big tray full of food, breakfast for them. And then she said, we heard you when you came last night, and we look at the time, it was too late. And we realize that you'll be tired to prepare breakfast for yourself this morning. And God spoke to us that we should prepare breakfast for, for you. Here is it. Setting up the table sounds like foolishness. But that is faith. And it worked. They got their breakfast. And they prayed for the family and thanked them. Hallelujah. Somebody say faith is a demonstrated trust in God. And it's a choice that must be followed by corresponding action. A demonstrated trust. When you demonstrate your trust in God, you do something about it. That's exactly what Frances did. Right? She set her table in preparation for breakfast. And breakfast came. Logically, faith does not make sense. But to Abraham, when God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to a mountain where I will show you and offer him to me as a burnt offering. Isaac knew God. They have traveled a long way together. God has tested him. Right? So he said to himself, this time I'm not going to fail this test. Right? The first test that God made to him, the call to separate himself from his people and his family in Genesis chapter 12 was a test. For you to leave your people. You leave your country. You leave even those within your household and go to a place you don't even know about. That is faith. 
He answered to that call. He left. Scripture says his, nep- his nephew Lot went with him. And they traveled. They were just going. I believe God was just directing him as, 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 as they go along. He passed that test. When they came to Kenyan, they were living there. All of a sudden, there was a famine. And then Abraham decided that this famine, this famine is becoming severe. We need to go to Egypt so that God will sustain us there. He did not pray about it. He went. And when they went, by the time they entered, they were, they were about to enter the gate. He said to his wife, no, I know these people. I've heard about them. They love to see beautiful women. So please, if they see you, they ask about you, just tell them that I am your brother so that they will not kill me for your sake. And Sarah said, okay, if that is how you want it, let's go ahead. And when they came to the gates, that was the first question they asked. Hey, madam, you are so beautiful. Who are you? Where are you coming from? Who is the man with you? He said, oh, this man is my, my brother. He said, okay. Before you know it, they communicated with the Pharaoh and informed that a beautiful woman has entered the city. That was how Sarah and Abraham were taken to the palace. And the Pharaoh did everything good to Mr. Abraham as a brother-in-law. <laughs> Very interesting. So what transpired there, God had to intervene. And when God intervened, the Pharaoh released them to return. That was a test that he failed. But when another test is the requirement to trust God for the promise of the covenant recorded in Genesis chapter 15, God told him, Eliezer will not be your heir, but a child coming from your own body will be your heir. Come outside and see what I'm trying to talk about. And Abraham came outside. He said, look up and see. Tell me if you can count the stars. Abraham said, I cannot. He said, well, that is how your, 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 spring will, your, your, your offsprings will be. They will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. So if God has made that promise, and we are living together waiting for the manifestation of this promise, all of a sudden, one day, Sarah came, say, uh, 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 Lord, Sarah called her husband, Lord, Lord, I've been thinking, God has assured us we're going to get a child, but I don't know. Maybe we need to do something about it. So I want you to take my maid, Hagar, as your second wife, and if she conceives and bears a son, that son will become our, son, our child. Abraham did not pray to ask God, can I do this or not? He went ahead and accepted. Another commentary said that it's like Abraham has been watching this girl. She's grown now. So he has been passing eyes on her. So the moment the wife came up with that suggestion, he accepted it. Right? And she, she took the girl and went into her. And Eger conceived and be a child, Ishmael. That is giving us problem up to this very day, the descendants of Ishmael. Right? So Abraham failed that test. So if God asks him again, Scripture says, from sometime later, God tested Abraham. Abraham was determined not to fail the test this trip. So even though what he told him was something that was so painful in his heart, he decided to go ahead. Right? So no man can help God. There's nothing God cannot do. Hallelujah. 
I don't know what your situation is. I don't, know, I don't know the circumstances you are facing. But I want to assure you, God is able. You just put your trust in him. Hallelujah. In a manner similar to Abraham, we, we, we who, are, who are Christians also, our faith will be tested someday. Your faith will be tested. God will want to prove you. If actually you trust him, whether you have faith in him, you have hope in him, and you love him as he loves you, he will test you. I was born to a Catholic father and a Muslim mother, fervent Muslim. And my father was employed at the, the, the Ministry of Internal Affairs, and he was being transferred from place to place. So my mother suggested, since we are, not, we are not permanently stationed anywhere, can I leave uh, our son with my relatives in the city so that he'll go to school there? My father accepted. It's okay. Not knowing that the relatives, of course my father knew, they, they were Muslims, and they brought me to the city in Freetown, and I lived there. The first thing my, my uncle did was to take me to a Quranic school, and I, I studied the Quran. I studied the Quran. I was in the mosque. I was a fervent Muslim, right? Very strong. I rose up to the post of uh, like executive member in the mosque. But this is a mosque that was like, if you are there, you have to abide by their own rules. What they say is what you will do. So I, was, I, was, I had to abide. I was with, with them. I don't even know about Christianity by then. Because my father was a Catholic, he was not even like a church goer like that. He goes to church maybe once in a while. So he never took me to church. So if my mother brought me now to her own relatives, and they started taking me to the mosque, and we started worshiping this God they call Allah, I, I don't know, I was innocent, but I, was, I, I, I gave my life to Islam. I studied the Quran. I continued like that. As a result, one day I was, I was praying the Islam during the Ramadan month, when the Lord started to talk to me, I said, "Ah, what what is this? I don't understand this." And then two days later, there was an announcement from the BBC that they are looking forward to anybody who will write and give a solution to the problem between the Israelis and the Palestinians. I said, "Oh, I said this thing. I'm, I'm going to do an assignment for it." But how can I do this assignment? I have to know where the problem started before I be able to, to suggest a solution. How do I find out about the problem? I have to read the two books. I have to read the Quran. I have to read the Bible. So I have a translated Quran. As I was reading, God was showing me what I was seeing in the Quran and what I was seeing in the Bible. I said, ah, God, what have I been doing here? Seems as if this is the right book. This is, this is you speaking to me. This one is just like stories I'm reading. It's a literature for me to understand what transpired over there. But this, like I'm seeing you here, and I purpose in my mind that I'm going to give my life. I completed the Ramadan month, and on the day for the prayer, final prayer, I went to the field, we prayed together, and when I came home, I gave my tasbir, that thing we hold to count, I gave it away, I gave my mat away, I gave my translated Quran away. Then I announced to the compound, I said, from now on, I start to go to church. I said, oh, 
This has backslided. They began to call me, and the Muslim, they call you Kafri. That's you are a pagan now. And as a result of that, my, 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 my relatives, my people, they segregated me. They shifted me apart. They ostracized me. They were doing things. Nobody will inform me. If they call a meeting, whether I'm there or not, it's not important. That was how they treated me. I suffered. Because I had no other relatives. They were, they were my people. I suffered for a long time. But I continued with my faith. And Jesus was taking care of me bit by bit. Hallelujah. Our country suffered for, with a rebel war for 11 years. And on the 11th of January 1999, the rebels entered the city. And when they entered, they caused so much devastation. They, they, they burnt houses. They burnt vehicles. They killed so many people. Thousands of people died. And they, they entered the city to a point they almost, they almost wanted to take the, 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 the state house. And then the, the military, the, the soldiers, uh, some came from the neighboring states to help. They started to shift them back. But how are they shifting them back? They will send bombs. And these bombs will go and drop, and then the rebels will run away. So one of these bombs dropped on top of our house, my house. And when this bomb dropped, it killed our 18 years old daughter. It shattered the house. And then after the doctor settled, my 18 years old daughter shouted, Papa! I got up to look at her. She has been mutilated. Not even lie down and die, but she was... It's a terrific sight. I became mad. I went out into the streets, not regarding whether the rebels are there with their guns. I don't care. I went mad. I started crying as if she was an only child. People came. They comforted me. And I was comforted. The following day, early in the morning, we have to take them to the cemetery, bury them early so we can return and take shelter. That was what we suffered. And that was the second test. But what did I do? Did I give up? No. Here I am today. In our relationship with God, we should focus on the promises of God, not on explanations. But sometimes, when we face trials, the first thing we'll say, Ah, God, why me? God loves you. He wants you to go through this trial so that he'll prove you. Hallelujah. Whenever God sends a trial to us, perhaps one is to purify us, to purify our faith in him. In the book of 1 Peter chapter 1, 1 Peter chapter 1, from verse 6 to 9, it says, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold would perish yet even though refined by fire may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible glorious joy for you have are, you, you are received the goal of your faith the salvation of your souls. Hallelujah. That is what the scripture is telling us. 
In other words, when you look at this, you find out that our faith, when we hold on to it, is pointing us directly to the Messiah. Hallelujah. That we should know. The second test, if you are, when, when, when we are tested, is to perfect our character. That we'll find in the book of James chapter 1, from verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many, of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. That is why we, why, why we face trials and testings. Hallelujah. Abraham had God's word and immediately obeyed it by faith. Faith does not demand explanations. Faith rests on promises or on a promise. God did not only test Abraham's faith, he also tested his hope, whether there is still hope in him. And what is hope? The International Standard Bible Encyclopedia says, hope is a concept involving trustful anticipation, particularly with reference to the fulfillment of the promises of God. The, the preacher man, King Solomon, he wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 4, he said, anyone who is among the living has hope. In that verse, he went on to say, even the living God, the living dog is better than the dead lion. True. Everyone who is alive, you must have hope. And here, God has blessed us with a pastor who decided to give his benediction using the scripture, Romans 15, 13. Every Sunday, he used that to conclude. And when he prays, I don't know about you, me, I personalize that one. When he said, may the God of hope Fill you with all joy and peace. But it does not stop there. It is conditional. He said, as you trust in him. Right? I'm not going to go further because this is not benediction time. Right? <laughs> you see? But when he says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. What do I need more than joy and peace in my life? There is nothing more. If I have joy... I'm okay. Happiness comes only for a time. Hallelujah. But joy comes from God. And when you have peace, oh man, there's nothing more that you should worry yourself about. Peace comes from Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. So, when God said in verse 2, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, why does he have to go to emphasize on this? If he had said, take your son Isaac, go to the mountain, I will, I will show you. No. But he said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. God was trying to emphasize something. What was God trying to prove? God was trying to prove whether Abraham's hope of the fulfillment of the promise is still in him as God or now in Isaac. Sometimes, when we pray, God give us children, and we educate them, we send them to school to learn, and then they grow up to be, maybe they go to university, and then they graduate, then they have a good job. We want to put our hope in them. I don't know. Thank God for the culture here. It's not like that. But back home, in our country, <laughs> when there is one person in the family who has gone to university and graduated and is having a good job, 
The entire family puts their hope in him now. No longer in God. He should provide for them their needs because they have educated him. Because for us back home, you pay for your child from infant, from, from, from kindergarten, you pay your fees to primary, to senior primary, to secondary. You pay. Not to mention university. We are here and we still pay in our children's fees back home. Me and my wife. Hallelujah. But Abraham was determined to prove to God that his hope in him is still active. He has not given up. Because he has gone through other tests that he failed. This one, he was determined not to fail. And the last thing that God tested in Abraham is his love. Does this man still have love for me? Now, what is love? Love is not only one of God's attributes. It is an essential part of his nature. God is love. When we talk about love, you are talking about God. In 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, he says, Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. Hello? If you do not love, then you do not know God. The God we serve is a God of love. In John chapter 14, verse 21, he said, Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. This is God himself speaking. If you have my command and then you obey them, then truly you love me. So when they reached the top of the mountain, Isaac, the first thing he did was to build an altar and arrange the woods. Let's see what he said from verse 9. He said, when they reached the place God told him about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar. The interesting thing, this boy did not resist. He did not resist. He could have resisted. He was strong enough. He carried the, the bunch of wood from the, 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 the foot of the mountain right, right up. So he was strong enough to resist his father. But he did not resist. He gave himself up. Right? Then, then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God. When I read, I came to that part, I said, oh God, when are you going to say to me, now I know, David, that you fear me. God is looking forward to that day when we'll do something that will satisfy him and then he will say, now I know that you fear me. Hallelujah. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a ram caught by his horns. He went over and took the ram and sacrificed as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of the Lord will provide. You know, that was referred to as Jehovah Jireh. Unknown to Abraham, that's the interesting part. At the same time, they were climbing the mountain with his son. A ram was climbing the other side of the mountain. Every step Abraham and, the, and, the, and, his, and his son took, the ram will take another uh, step. Every step they take, the ram will take another step. That's how they, 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 they were able to go up. God has planned it that way. 
that they meet at the same place, at the same time, for the same purpose. Success occurs only when opportunity meets preparation. You have to be prepared for it. You have to let go of what is in your hand to take hold of what God is giving out to you. If Abraham had not let go his son in his heart, he had not decided to, to slay him and give him back to Saul. Because Pastor Mike has explained that to us. He believed that even if he had slain his son and set fire upon him, God would have resurrected him and given him back to him. He believed in that. So he did not hesitate. He was sure. He knew this God he was serving. That's why he was able to worship him without any inter interference. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 6, verse 38, it tells us that it is when you give, it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, shall he use men to give unto your bosom. But the first point is, you give. Are we prepared to give? Are we prepared to let go of what is in our hands? Are we? God will test each one of us to see if we trust what he says. He will test. And when we obey him, we might be climbing the side of the mountain alone. But unknown to us, God's provision is on, the way, on his way on the other side of the mountain. Are we understanding? You might be climbing the mountain alone. We are going some, through some trials, some tests. Before I came up here, I was discussing with my brother. I said, my problem now is this night shift. I said, I don't like it. My entire lifetime, it's America, I started to work at night. No sleep. I have to try to get some sleep during the day, which I'm not used to. I say it's so hard. Oh. And then my brother said, he said, he said he's telling me, he said, I know what you're talking about. He said, all I will say is, pray for me, I'll pray for you, so that God will change <laughs> this assignment for us. I said, thank you. I love that. We'll pray for each other, so that God will make something new. Hallelujah. When you climb the mountain, it seems as if you are alone, but you are not alone. God's provision is coming up the other side. But he's waiting for you to reach the top. Are we understanding? He's waiting for you to reach the top. Partial, is, partial obedience is not obedience. You have to obey to the full. Get where God wants you to be. And when you are there, you'll meet the provision waiting for you. Back home, we invited a, a preacher man to preach for our revival service. And then this preacher man, he preached the first, Sunday, the first night, second night, and the third night. We invited him to preach on the Sunday service. When he came on that Sunday service, as he was preaching, he said, Pastor, that he was referring to my senior pastor. He said, God had laid it in my heart that this roof must be taken away he wants this, this church to be enlarged, to be extended. And then my senior pastor said, well, if you have said it, we trust God, it will happen. He said, you are trusting God. He said, I've already trusted God for you. He said, right here and now, I'm going to appoint the executive, the committee, that is going to be in charge of this building. Right there. And then he said, whosoever believes that you are in line with what we are discussing here, you be the first person to give your own offering towards the construction of this building. I was the first person, the assistant pastor of the church. 
I got up. I don't know what moved me. We have just one car, me and my family. We used to go to church to do other businesses, just one. And we used that car to come to church on that morning. And we parked the car. It was, it was standing there. So I came to answer to that altar call. I took my, the bunch of keys from my pocket, and I said, Pastor, before you pray, I want to do something. I said, I took the, the key from the bunch of keys. I said, this is the car we have, me and my family. It's the only one we have. We have nothing else. I don't even have money in my account. I said, but I am giving this car on behalf of my family. I'm giving it to the church. Let the church sell this car and use the money for the construction. And the man of God prayed. We turned our back, me and my wife. We had to get, grab taxis and my children. We had to get taxis to go back home. That was how I was walking about now. Just with taxis. Everybody taxis or poda poda. We struggled for some time. Then one day, one young man came and asked me, say, Pastor, what's happening with the car? I said, no, the car is not mine. It's the church. It's left it. I don't, I don't know what they intend to do. He said, well, I heard that they are going to put it on sale. I said, fine for them. That is what I said. I wonder why he's still standing there. He said, Pastor, I want to buy this car. I said, you go ahead. Take it. It's good for you. you all I need is the money to go to the church. Not knowing this guy had a plan in, in mind. So one day, when they announced that uh, we are going to be ordained, the men's ministry said, okay, we, the president stood up. He said, well, we are going to dress pastor. Pastor, go to any boutique. Choose any kind of suit, any kind of shirt, any kind of tie, any kind of shoe. Send the bill to us. We'll pay. And then the women say, oh, if you the men are going to, to dress pastor, we are going to cook for the entire church on that day. And the women raise money for that. And then this young man got up. He said, well, you are all doing these things for pastor. I say, for me, I am paying for this car today, and I'm giving it back to pastor. Ah. Honestly, I've been praying now for a car, not for that kind of car again. <laughs> so when this guy says he's going to buy this car and give it back to me, I was not too happy, honestly. But I said, okay, man, thank you. So I took the mic, I prayed for the men's ministry, I prayed for the women's ministry, I prayed for him specifically. And indeed, on the Monday, this guy sent the money to the church, paid for the car. And he said, Pastor, I've paid for the car, you can go and collect it. I said, well, I have to get a mechanic to come and fix it for me to take it out. So I left it there. I did not church it. The following Sunday, after our ordination, the church called me. The, 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 the treasurer called me after worship time. He said, I want to have an announcement to make. What is this announcement? He said, well, uh, the church has decided to give a gift to Pastor David for his ordination. And the, the present you are going to give me is $1,000. Ah. So they also added our local currency, one million of that, to help me repair the car. No, the, way, the, the moment the, the treasurer announced that, other people in the congregation stood up, said, Pastor, me too, I will give you 500000 Me too, I will give you one million to fix the car. Before you know it, I had enough money to fix that car. And I took it to a mechanic and the panel beater. They fixed that car. It was almost second to new. And when I brought it back to church, people were surprised. They thought I bought a, a, a second-hand car again. I said, no, it's that same car. Right? But nevertheless, 
What am I saying here? Because I gave that car to the work of God. When we came here, somebody took me somewhere and bought that truck that we are using and gave it to me free of charge. All he asked me to do is, you be paying the insurance. I did not spend a cent. It is when you give that it shall be given unto you. You have to let go of what is in your hand. If I had not let go of that car back home, I wonder if that person would have thought, come up with the idea to buy a truck for me here. And I need it here. Thanks to most of you who have been giving us rides here and there. But sometimes in the bus we suffer, especially during winter time. So we thank God for that man. We continue to pray for that man. God will richly bless him. Hallelujah. God knows our hearts. God knows our desires. God knows our needs even before we ask him. But he too is asking us to do something. Are you prepared to let go of what is in your hand? If we continue to walk in obedience, God's blessing will meet us at the top of the mountain. Mountains means your walk with God in obedience. When you are obeying God, you are walking him. You are climbing the mountain. Every step you take, every good work you did for the, for the Lord, every, every time you obey him to do something for him or with him, you are obeying him. You are climbing the mountain. And you are going to reach at the top. Hallelujah. And when they got there, after everything, this is what happened. In verse, from verse 15, he said, The angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven the second time and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you and make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and as the sand of the seashore. He gave one, and God gave him millions and millions and millions. And we standing here, me standing here, we are proud to say, Abraham is my father. Hallelujah. You see, your, city, your, 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 your descendants will take possession of, their, of the cities of their enemies. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Through your offspring. Who is this offspring? In Galatians chapter 3, verse 16, it says, The promises we have spoken to Abraham and his seed. The scripture does not say, and to seeds, meaning many people. But unto your seed, meaning one person, who is Christ. The promise doubtlessly points to the Messiah and the grace of the gospel that we are enjoying today. If Abraham had not made that sacrifice, I wonder where you and me would have been today. He made that sacrifice. And God made that pronouncement. And that pronouncement was manifested in, in his sending his son to come and die and take away our sins. So that me and you, we can stand before his throne of grace now and say, Abba, Father, and will hear us. You don't have to come to pastors to pray for you. You have to go to your closet and call upon him. He will answer you. Hallelujah. He will answer you. Scripture says it is only when you pray fervently, huh? God will answer your prayer. He does not say you have to go to somebody to pray for you. He's asking you to pray. Praise the living God. What two men did on that lonely altar brought blessings to the entire world. Are you prepared to let go? of what is in your hand, that you may take hold of what God is stretching out to you. Are you prepared? Some of us are holding certain things in our hands. 
And as a result of that, we cannot, we cannot come to do anything for the Lord. We are occupied. Some of us, we prayed for a job. And when God gave us a job, we don't have time to come to church again. We pray for a child. And when God gave us that child, we don't have time again to come to church of any because I'm taking care of my child. Who gave you the child? Who gave you the job? Hallelujah. Are you prepared to let go of what is in your hand? Are you prepared? God is faithful. He never changes. What he says, he will surely do. And you are no exception. He's waiting on you. All he asks is for you to give your heart to him. Abraham never performed the sacrifice. But he sacrificed his son in his heart. And that's what God, what God is looking for. The purpose in your heart. That's what God is looking for. That is God, what God will work with. And definitely, he'll bring changes. You'll see the, the, the work of God. You'll see the, 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 the power of God manifesting in you. If you have been impacted by this message, if you believe God has spoken to you, I want you to stand to your feet. We are going to pray. We are going to pray. We are living examples. Me and my wife we went through a lot. But God has always been faithful to us. He has never left us. He has never forsaken us. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The God of Abraham is my God. The God of Abraham is your God. What he did for Abraham is going to do for you. Hallelujah. He never fails. Songwriter says, great things he has done or greater things he will do even now. And you are the person God is going to use for those, for those greater things to come to pass. Hallelujah.